Welcome to part two of Health System CIO's interview with Pamela McNutt, CIO at Methodist Health System. In this segment, we talk about how her team is working to leverage the tools they already have in Epic rather than adding new ones, the enormous challenge CIOs face in ushering in the digital revolution, and why advocacy has always been and will always be a passion for her. The following Health System CIO podcast is brought to you by LK, a nationwide leader in healthcare connectivity. Decommission your legacy systems with LK Archive. All systems, all data, one consolidated solution. Retain 100% of your legacy data at 20% of the cost with LK Archive. For more information, visit lk.com. That's E-L-L-K-A-Y dot com. Right now, what would you say are really some of the key priorities for your team? There are two initiatives that are not surprising, which is to, to continue to leverage the tools that we have in Epic. Mm-hmm. In other words, we are not looking for hundreds of outside tools to layer over Epic till we have optimized all the new features and functionalities. Just like many people across the country, we've recently gone up on Epic 2018. That brought a lot of new features and functionalities, and we need to, to work on exploiting all of those. We also mm-hmm. need to exploit all the other features and functions inside of Epic when it comes to predictive analytics. We can use their data analytics tool to a much deeper degree than we have. We need to work on all of these things. And so that probably is our key focus. Optimizing everything we have in Epic is now on this quarterly release cycle of even more features and functions. You know, it would be foolish for us not to leverage the tools that we already own. Right. I think everybody's looking at this. You're bombarded with opportunities to layer things onto your Epic system. But the first question you really need to ask yourself is, can this be done in Epic? Oh, sure. Yeah, so that's, that's really the journey we're on. In particular, Epic is just continuously releasing more and more tools for interoperability and for further patient engagement, you know, with their data and records. And, and I would say that's one of our big priorities. And that's a secondary question you have here, but yeah. I think that's critical. The digital revolution, we have to be able to empower patients to be able to access and use their data and yeah. to access us digitally. And so that is a big focus for us. Right. And when you're dealing with different areas, different types of patient populations, that can be challenging, I'm sure, just making sure that they have that access. The whole issue with interoperability and patient access, as we start to get into this little bit of policy discussion, is um, yeah. you know, there's regulations and then there's desires for data mm-hmm. to be seamlessly exchanged and always available to clinicians and to patients, but you have to balance that with HIPAA privacy and security at all times. Right, right. And that's becoming one of our most significant challenges, I think, with the patient access revolution, if you will, and this interoperability is making sure that things are secure and that the patient's privacy is adequately protected, and not just globally, but also down to perhaps the data element or test level of which things are appropriate. 
to yeah, release like or not. So that I think that's a, a modern challenge we have over the next few years is balancing security and privacy with this open data sharing yeah. journey that we're all on. Right, right. It's such a big issue. And is, is it the kind of thing where, you know, this has to be tackled in chunks or, I mean, I know that there's nothing simple about it. You have access and security, which are both needed and finding that balance. Yes. And also major initiatives too, just in general, I think many organizations are on the same path. It's it's becoming harder for physicians to remain independent. And as more of us enter into more value-based contracts where we are being held accountable for the entire patient experience, physicians and healthcare systems desire to have a closer linkage you know, with their physicians. And physicians, it's just becoming hard to have an independent practice. Right. And so continued growth in physician employment, I think, is it's definitely something that we are seeing a lot of and is part of our plan. Right. It's consuming a lot of our resources in a good way. Yeah. It's a good opportunity to have. Right, right, oh, sure. And now uh, when you look at advocacy, the, the policy work, what is it that, that made you really want to get involved in, uh, in advocacy? Well, it's better to try and control your destiny than to have to react to it. And what we found many years ago when Meaningful Use, the mm-hmm. HIT regulations and Meaningful Use came out, was that the agencies, the government, is actually hungry to hear the boots-on-the-ground experience and reaction to their policies. And not only as they're in a proposed rule state, but also after they're implemented, we found that CMS and Health and Human Services, they were very interested in hearing, how is this really going? And pretty quickly we discovered it does make an impact to get involved, to be talking, to talk with people at CMS, develop those relationships, and with the Office of National Coordinator, have meetings with them. They are hungry to hear how it's really going out there. And I think over the years we have seen, pretty quickly we saw the impact of that with the regulations being tweaked and fine-tuned as we go along. And so, like I said, I would rather be involved in helping steer this or giving this type of feedback to make what the government is putting in the regulation a better product than just sit back and react. And secondarily is I wanted to deeply understand what is going on because it was so important remains important because there's money and now even condition of participation in CMS associated with the things that we will do in the interoperability realm in particular. So I think it's imperative that there are people who are deeply involved in this who can help other CIOs and other people in health leadership understand what the implications are of these regulations to their plans and operations. It's, it, it's imperative that we educate. Yeah. Yeah, I think that at least for some time there was belief or a perception that this is what the government is doing to us. And it's important to recognize that, as you said, they, they want to hear about the experiences. So it's taking the time to do that and invest that time. 
because they really don't want to legislate something that is going to fail. So they want to know what's working and what's not. But that's really important in working in the advocacy space. You need to give them positive feedback as well as negative. You can't just be beating the negative drum. Yeah, sure. You have to tell them this is working. This would work even better if. (laughs) Yeah, sure. (laughs) And sorry, but this really isn't working at all, and here's why. The here's why is really important. Real-life examples of why something perhaps isn't as easy as everyone thought it was going to be. Yeah. And so they're very open to hearing that. The government, for instance, did not understand how difficult it is for organizations and also how costly it can be to gear up for major upgrades to software. And you had to continuously upgrade your software to meet the regulations over the last Mm -hmm. 10 years. And they really didn't understand that cycle. Yeah. And now they do, and that's why we saw a lot of delays in some of the time frames. That's also where we saw a 90-day reporting period come out rather than a full year. And they reacted to, oh, okay, we didn't realize that's the kind of cycles you all are on, and, and the whole country can't be ready on January 1st because vendors' ability to help you with those upgrades, your budget cycles, all kinds of things play into that, and it's not realistic to say the whole country will be at a certain place on January 1st. Right. So that's the kind of thing that we've worked on over the years where I think there's been impact and that they have listened. Yeah. And I'm sure that that's, that's so important. I know that if, when I speak to, to Leslie and Mari at Chime, that when there is something to report, like that a change was made or an update, I mean, that's so encouraging for people who take the time, invest that time into uh, the advocacy. Yep, that's right. But uh, instead of just letting it happen to you. <laughs> yeah, and that's probably part of your personality too and being proactive. Right. Okay. So one other thing I wanted to talk about was being with with an organization for a long time is is something that, as you know, is pretty rare. Does it surprise you at all or just, you know, is it interesting for you to reflect on, oh, wow, I have been here for quite a while? Yeah, because in some ways it seems even longer than the 26 years I've been here, but at other times it seems like time has just flown by. But we have been through a lot of change over those 26 years. So I kind of feel like I've worked at, even though the core values of this organization has always been the same, and frankly, that's what keeps me here, our core values. And there's other people who have been here with very long tenure who have held to those core values. Why our core values stayed the same, um, it kind of feels like I've been in three different organizations over the 26 years, evolving from a two-hospital system when I first came here to what we are today and with the type of other services lines and things that we've gone into. And then, of course, the um, physician practice arm that sprung up. It, it really feels like three different organizations that I've worked with over all these years. So that's what's kept it exciting So core values and your mission, but then having strategic initiatives that are exciting are the two things that have kept me here that keep this an interesting and fulfilling job for me. Yeah. Yeah, I can see that. And especially you you had mentioned that about 10 years ago, which was a, a really significant growth period. So 
these different phases, I can see it really feeling like a different organization because I'm sure in some ways it, it really is. Yeah, and there's been, I've experienced three different CEOs and now fourth, but you know, over these years, there's been some CEO changes, and, and often with those changes, there's changes in direction, and that breeds the three different experiences mm, yeah. with the different CEOs that have been here. And so that keeps it interesting and fulfilling. Thank you for listening to this podcast from healthsystemcio.com. To hear other podcasts, visit our website or subscribe to our account in iTunes at healthsystemcio.com backslash podcast.